Please have your Bible ready from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Now, there will be some overlap or review of some of the early parts of this long passage. I'm spending extra time with this, believing this subject needs special concentration in our time. So this class concerns Matthew 6, 19 through 34, but my concentration will be on the latter part of that. What is your first thought when you read or hear the word materialism? We may think, well, that's about people who are rich, who have far more than what I have, and who are inordinately attached to their riches. Along with that, when we come to passages in the Bible about wealth, warnings to the rich, impulsively, we just may skip those passages, thinking they are not addressed to us. Those warnings must be about people who have way more than what I have. I want to say something about that. That kind of thinking is way off the mark of truth. It takes us away from applications and warnings that we need, no matter our level of income or our assets. Materialism and greed isn't limited to people who are richer than we are. I think you can read the Bible and arrive clearly at that conclusion. Materialism and greed isn't limited to people who are richer than we are. And to that, I will add, we are richer than many people in the world. So it is immature, arrogant, and personally harmful for any of us to dismiss what the Bible says about greed or materialism because we've been involved in this comparative kind of thinking. Well, so many people up here have so much more than I have down here. That's wrong thinking. Materialism and greed isn't limited to people who are richer than we are. Jesus wasn't speaking to a banquet of millionaires when he wrote these words in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's what Jesus spoke, and he had Matthew write for us in Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Would you consider with me from this passage not every detailed word and phrase in two previous classes we've covered some of the early details of this text? I just have in this class three things to bring up. A contrast that provides perspective, an impossibility, an uncompromising trust. I've relied on two primary sources to help me word some of this, Invitation to a Spiritual Revolution by Paul Earnhardt and the book, The Sermon on the Mount, Exposition of Matthew 5 through 7 by D.A. Carson. First, a contrast with perspective, especially in verses 19 through 24. Listen again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then in verses 22 and 23, I talked about in a previous class, it's about perspective, what you see, how you see things. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And then no one can serve two masters. I'll have more to say about that. There is here a contrast that provides perspective. 
there is here and now for all of us the temporary, our present existence here on earth day after day and all that goes with that. And there is for us the permanent, our future destination. We would hope that would be in heaven through our response to Jesus Christ. Well, the point in the passage is the latter is more important than the former. That's the perspective. That's the good eye of this passage to recognize that our present existence is only for a while. We are sojourners here. There is a destination. I'm aware that this sounds oversimplified, but I'm seeing that on this page. There is the temporary and the permanent, and the permanent is far more important. And the point here shouldn't be turned into an argument against bank accounts and savings accounts or investments or retirement funds to meet legitimate needs in the future beyond our working years. Those are legitimate needs here on the earth. Jesus expects us to be prudent and responsible to meet our family's needs the best we are able and be good stewards of future need. This is simple. There is the temporary and the permanent, and the permanent is far more important. When we compare our present existence on earth to the future eternal destiny we hope for, heaven is far more important with all the dealings of earthly matters. Jesus says, and Matthew writes this for us, thieves or rust or both may wipe out all of our earthly holdings. We do not find security in our earthly holdings. Whatever those attachments or holdings are, success, tangible, intangible, earthly acclaim, all things limited to the earth here are subject to loss, decay, and can't be packed up and taken to the grave or the judgment day. Jesus intends that we know the difference and get our lives founded on the permanent, the eternal. You know, we have witnessed this past year a scramble in some cases, a frantic rush for water and paper products and groceries and gas and some reports of hoarding and price gouging or extortion, lines wrapped around the stores and shopping venues. Being prepared with prudence is one thing, but we've seen reports and maybe witnessed frantic, almost hysterical buying frenzies, motivated often by unreasonable fear. The sum of that is people are worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow is the most immediate sense, tomorrow here on earth. In such a time as this, we need perspective. We need the good eye that brings spiritual health into our whole lives. And the contrast between the temporary and the permanent is put before us here. There is the temporary, things subject to decay that offer only temporary security. What's more important 
is our distant future. So lay up for yourselves treasures. Be sure you do this. Lay up for yourselves treasures which are not time and earth limited. It is a contrast designed to give us perspective. This doesn't mean take all of your earthly holdings and assets and transfer them somehow to your heavenly account. <clears throat> this is about knowing the difference between earthly things that are temporary and heavenly things that are permanent, eternal, and devoting your heart and life to what we are certain will last beyond death, will go on forever after the earth is gone. Invest primarily. Invest most importantly in what you know will not be subject to any form of earthly decay. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, how do we do that? Well, it starts with one's commitment to be a disciple of Christ. And then investing permanently in heaven means continuing to be a disciple of Christ. No matter the earthly losses that you go through, you invest in the permanent when you read and learn about God and respond to him. You invest in the permanent when you give God your mind, give Christ your obedience, and plead with sinners to believe and obey the gospel. You invest in the permanent when you read, study, pray, and formulate specific intentional change. You invest in the permanent when you worship, become involved in the Lord's work, serve others, encourage Christians, and take up every responsibility of life with the express purpose of glorifying God. Now remember, this isn't just for wealthy people. Every one of us need to look at this contrast and maintain perspective. There are temporary things we deal with here that we have to have, but they're subject to decay and they're not the most important. There are heavenly blessings, far more important than what we deal with here that's temporal. And should the spread of human disease trouble us, one way to cope with that fear is lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. A friend of mine said last year, right in the middle of the pandemic, stock up on what's eternal. Number two, there is here in this passage an impossibility that we need to face. You cannot serve God and money. You've heard this expression, the best of both worlds. I believe there is a powerful temptation to live a materialistic life and have religious or spiritual things as something part-time or secondary. In Paul Earnhardt's book, he writes of this as the impossibility of divided loyalties. He describes the Pharisees who claim to be holy, deeply spiritual people in their strict way of life, but Luke 16, 14 says they were lovers of money. They were seeking that impossible option of the best of two worlds. Earnhardt says 
It is just the kind of spiritual cancer which seems to live easily with a great display of piety. Jesus is telling the people, and Matthew wrote it down for us, it cannot be done. No one can serve two masters. And this is worded in such a way nobody can claim to be an exception to the rule. No one can serve two masters. In some translations, you cannot serve God and mammon. That's the Aramaic word for riches or wealth. You cannot serve God and money or riches. What this affirmation leads to is a choice. Which will it be? Will it be money, material things, and earthly treasures, and success, and assets, things that pertain to this earth, or will it be God that I concentrate on? Really, this passage in Matthew 6 puts on display the purity and simplicity of Christ, and it calls upon us to have clear vision, that good eye, undivided loyalty to God. I'm quoting Paul Earnhardt again. Materialism has a voracious appetite and will soon consume the personality which gives it an opening. Yet, when it finally rules without restraint, it brings no peace, nor satisfaction, no lasting happiness. God also desires to have us exclusively for himself but for our benefit, not his. Money will consume us. God will fill us. Men who have been made for God will know no peace apart from him. So the contrast gives us perspective. There is the temporary and the permanent, and the permanent demands our greatest attention and energy. No one can serve two masters, and we cannot serve God and money. So in Matthew 6, there's a contrast that provides perspective, what's here and what's there. There's an impossibility of serving both ends of that. And then I think the primary theme of this whole section in Matthew 6 is uncompromising trust in God. In our conversations and remarks about earthly life, and especially about the difficulties, the hardships, we often say something like, trust in God. What does that mean? And is it just in hard times that we think of that and speak of that? In modern conversations, statements about trusting God are often too vague a cliche, something that may not be accompanied by good definition. Well, here in Matthew 6, there's good definition of what it means to trust in God. I'm going to go back and start at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, <clears throat> what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious. Say, what shall we wear? What shall we drink? What shall we put on? What shall we eat? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Two times in this passage, there's an important word, therefore. Some of you have heard me say for many years, when you come to the word therefore in the Bible, look carefully into the context and see what it's there for. That's not original with me, but it's important. It means a conclusion is about to be stated based on previous material. So here in Matthew 6, what is the previous material? The previous material is the difference between the temporary and the permanent. The latter requires the greater attention. You cannot serve God and money. So what's the conclusion? Uncompromising trust in God. Part of that trust is conveyed with a phrase three times here in this passage. In the English Standard Version, do not be anxious but in some of the other translations, maybe more than three times, do not worry. That needs some attention and clarity, doesn't it? There is something we often call worry that is really just prudence, wisdom, responsibility. You have to think through and plan about the future. And that isn't forbidden. Good stewards do that. What is forbidden here is the grinding anxiety that defies trust in God. That grinding anxiety that defies trust in God. Fear that consumes and distracts fretfulness over the necessities of life. Getting something stuck in your head and trying to figure out what's going to happen robbing yourself of present time and responsibility. Jesus wants us to put the permanent things of God at the top of our agenda. Don't even attempt divided loyalty. Trust that God watches and cares. Money and things can consume us. He will fill us if we'll be open to him and obey him and trust him. So this doesn't mean to be passive about responsibilities on the earth. This doesn't mean you'll be better off than your neighbor. This doesn't mean there will be no hardship. 
no suffering. It means there is no reason for terror, anxiety, paranoia that distracts from present obedience to God, anticipating that final outcome to be with him. This passage calls for uncompromising trust in God. Stock up on things eternal. Put your citizenship in the kingdom first and trust in God. We'll move into chapter 7 in the next video class. These are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. I'm Warren Berkeley. Thank you for being with us.